0: Well, we're on week number two of a four-week series called The Daniel Dilemma, looking at the life of Daniel, the book of Daniel, and how Daniel found himself in a dilemma. He was captive in a foreign country, Babylon. Babylon uh, was in modern-day Iraq, and so the, the the place of Babylon was modern-day Iraq. But listen, Babylon, more, more than being a locality, it was a mentality. More than being a locality, Babylon was a mentality. And it is still a mentality. It is, it is a spirit that is, talk, that is seen and recognized from Genesis to Revelation. The Babylon spirit. And we're going to take a look at the Babylon mentality today. And we remember from last Sunday that Daniel and his friends were captives. They're in the place of Babylon, but they refused to adopt the Babylonian culture and the mentality of Babylon. Instead, they impacted Babylon from their stance upon the Word of God. Daniel and his friends took a stand on God's Word and they changed the culture around him and, and we're seeing that today that that culture has had an impact on the church rather than the church having an impact on the culture and so that's where 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 my heart has been uh, touched I guess you could say for The need for the church to stand up firm, but also to understand that we need to love the world at the same time. Last last week, we talked about grace and truth and how there needs to be a balance. You know, sometimes we can get unbalanced. If we're unbalanced on the truth, the truth can be mean, right? The truth without grace can be mean, But grace without truth can be meaningless. And so we can't go overboard on grace and say, well, you know, it just really doesn't matter or we need to kind of tone the Word of God down for this generation because a lot of things that that the Word talks about just doesn't go over with this culture and with this generation and that's absolutely uh, not right. So we're looking at how to impact again, this culture that we're living in and this day that we're living in in 2018 with the eternal truth of God's Word. How can we do that? How can I stand for God when everyone will hate me, but at least I'll go to heaven? You know, there's two popular thoughts. Uh, I I know everyone's going to hate me, but I'm going to heaven, and so I'm just going to stand for God. Or the other thought is, you know, I could possibly impact the culture, but I'm going to have to change God's Word a little here and a little there and kind of ease up on this thing or this thing because it's too tough and the culture's not going to go for it. And we've had those two polarized thoughts and really God wants us to be somewhere in the middle. We've got to have, again, the grace, but we can't take the grace, and leave the truth. I'm I'm asking this question this morning. Are we a thermostat or a thermometer? Do we reflect the culture that we're in? Are we setting the culture that we're in? A thermostat, uh, if, if I want this room to be 68 degrees, I go over to the wall and I set the thermostat. I have that... Uh, ability, again, to to decide and set the thermostat. But if I'm a thermometer, I'm just reflecting what's going on around me. Right? Who are you? What are you? Are you a thermostat or a thermometer? God has called us to set the culture that we are to live our lives in. Uh, There in John 17... Jesus prayed this prayer right before he went to the cross. Verse 15 of John 17, he said, My prayer is not, he's praying to his Father, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So Jesus is drawing this distinction between his disciples and those that are in the world. And if we follow Christ, and we're Christ followers, and we're his disciples, we'll act like him. Jesus did not want to be taking... At no time did Jesus pray, Lord, take me out of this mess. Right? He went through to the very end, endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him, and affected culture the whole time that he was alive on the earth. And so he expects us to be preserved like he prayed. Don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. Because we need to be a light that shines in front of men. And here's another scripture. Let your light so shine in front of men that they see your good works. And they'll want to glorify your God in heaven. You know, we're called to be salt and light. And salt does no good if if it's up in the cabinet. You have to use it, right? You have to get it out. But the way that we live sometimes in our church is is that we want to come in. This is a safe haven, a sanctuary, and so we're comfortable in here. And when we come in and we start talking about the week that we've had and about the people that we are challenged with on our jobs it, we can all agree, and it's so hard outside, and we're, we're so glad that we can come in together, and I just can't wait to come to church again. But really, God wants to f- fill us up so he can send us out. And what he gives us in here is not for in here. It's for out there. Salt and light accomplish their purpose when they're being used, right? Right? How many scriptures do we have about the light and hiding up on a a bushel? It does no good to hide your light. It has to shine, right? So it can be better and brighter. Us being salt and light makes life better and brighter. So this challenge, how do we live in it and not become a part of it? How do we live in the world and not become a part of the world? And we have to admit sometimes that we we get a fort mentality. Lord, get me out of here, you know. Just preserve me until Jesus comes or I go, whichever happens first. But today we're going to expose this mentality, or I like to think of it as the root of the cause. The cause root of the culture that we see around us today and what what the Bible calls, and what we're calling Babylon. What is Babylon? Look at Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4. What is Babylon? It was a a place, the Tower of Babel. If you go back to Genesis and you look at uh, Genesis 11 and and how the people there on earth decided that they were going to build a tower that would tower above God. That sounds exactly like Uh, What we read about the enemy and how the enemy said, I will set my throne above God's throne. And so the people of Babel built this tower called the Tower of Babel. And here's what they said. In verse 4, Genesis 11, they said, come and let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. These people were in one accord, in unity, doing the same thing for the same purpose, to make a name for themselves. They were out for recognition. They wanted to be recognized. And this is where the mentality comes from, this Babylon mentality. Genesis 11 verse 9 says, it's there in your notes, that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And so wherever you see confusion, you see the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon is identified by people who are trying to exalt themselves. And there's, there's confusion. They're confused uh, who they are and where they belong. And so they're trying to identify themselves and make themselves great. That is this Babylon mentality that fights against God. Part of God says, you know, hey, I am that I am, and I created you, and so I am the creator. You're not the creator. And so this is where the confusion comes, when people try to put themselves up to that place where God is, and they don't understand that they are subject to God. Revelation 17.5, also there in your notes. We can see this spirit of Babylon, the mentality of Babylon, all the way through the Bible, even into Revelation. The name that's written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And so if Babylon was operating back in Genesis when God created the earth and will be operating in Revelation... Surely it's operating on the earth today. We can identify it. It's, it's identified by selfishness. Look at Isaiah chapter 47, verses 8 through 10. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there's none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment and on a single day. Loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am. And there is none besides me. See, this Babylon mentality is, is, it has a motto. This motto is I am I am and there's none besides me and so I'm going to regress just a minute and kind of pick on social media social media elevates self social media I'm talking Facebook Twitter all of that look at me there's none besides me I'm gonna take my picture and there's none in the picture but me we live in a selfie culture that wants to promote self above everything else and so this is part of that Babylon mentality and many Christians fall for that uh, because they number one don't recognize this is against God but uh, we conform to the world in ways we don't even realize. We don't even realize it. Uh, this Babylon, the mode of Babylon, elevates self. That's one of your blanks there. It elevates self. To elevate yourself is adopting this spirit of Babylon, Babylon or this Babylon mentality self adoration, self adoring, adoring oneself. Adoring oneself. Look at me. Aren't I great? It's getting really quiet in here. <laughs> How about self-building? Self-building. I have to build my platform. I have to do this. I will make myself a great name. Watch, Watch me. You know, a little, a little kids pick up on this at a young age. Watch what I can do. Mom, watch. I can ride my bike with no hands. (laughs) Or when kids get in the class and they start comparing their dads. My dad is bigger. My dad makes more money. My dad can beat your dad. My dad. And so it's the spirit of the world. It is elevating self. How about self-indulging? self-indulging if it feels good to me surely it can't be against God because God wants me to feel good because I've heard so many messages on how God wants to bless me so if it feels good to me and I want it why would God not want me to have what I want to have after all doesn't the Bible say that God gives me the desires of my heart So. This self-indulgent, you know, just, just one step out of the truth becomes an untruth. And so even when things can sound good, they can be bad, right? Anytime, anytime we indulge ourselves, this is why it's so important to have restrictions in your life, boundaries in your life, because God doesn't want you to have everything you want to have. Think about it, parents, as it is Father's Day. Josh, would you, if Fletcher came to you today and said, Dad, I know you have a, a, a fifty caliber rifle, um, and yesterday you, shot, you, to, you, you told me how to shoot, or you showed me how to shoot a BB gun. Dad, can I shoot your fifty cal today? Absolutely no, <laughs> right? But we want to self-indulge. And it's part of that Babylon mentality. It's part of that I am and there's none besides me. So I determine what I want in my life and I've determined what's right for me and therefore it must be right because God wants me to be happy and my emotions have everything to do with God's will in my life. That's untrue, right? So at the same time, this mentality wants us to elevate ourselves; It wants us to lower God. It wants us to bring God down. This mentality says things uh, to us and, and and we adopt this thinking of God doesn't love me. Surely God can't love me because of the things that I've done and the things that you know that I've said and the ways that I've acted. But listen, God's love doesn't depend on what you've done, what you've said, or how you've acted. His love over shadows or overtakes any act that we've done in the past. He loves us because he chose to love us, not because we deserve his love. That, that's where grace comes in. He loves us in spite of ourselves. He loves us. Another point of this mentality is God isn't for me. He's not for me. He's out to wreck my fun. There's no way I could serve God because he's just boring. He doesn't doesn't love me. He he, he isn't for me. And, you know, he's got so many things. It's so hard to serve God because there's so many things that I can't do. But that's just the the mentality of Babylon. That's the mentality of the world. The third point is that God expects or wants too much from me. God wants too much from me. You know, when, when God set up and established His Word, He didn't take a vote. (laughs) He didn't have a uh, debate with man and say, okay, where, where do you think you can fit in here? How much of this do you think you can fulfill? So God is not asking too much of us. Sometimes we think that he is de- demanding or desiring too much from us when actually that's, that's part of that Babylon, ment- Babylon mentality. If you look in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was, was eaten up with himself to the place where he went crazy. Again, one of the indications of, of the Babylon mentality or the Babylon spirit is confusion And confusion, if confusion is not resolved, it leads to mental illness, which leads to death, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar here in Daniel chapter 4, and verse 34, it says, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Let me back up and and tell you what happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He became so deceived that he ended up for years, in the pasture, eating grass as a, as a cow. And his nails grew out so long that he was he turned into an animal. Because he went so demented and so crazy. But it says here in verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven. When he was in the, the state of being totally possessed... He said, I raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored, and then I praised the Most High. I honored and I glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, So the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life, he realized that he wasn't in charge, but he recognized who was in charge, and his sanity was restored. So where there was confusion, sanity can be restored, right? You can break free from this Babylon mentality. You can break free from the way that the world thinks. Here's how how we do it, by these three I wills these three I wills will help you to break free from Babylon mentality number one I will acknowledge God I will acknowledge God first Corinthians four seven from the Living Bible says what are you so puffed up about what do you have that God hasn't given you and if all you have is from God why act as though you've accomplished something on your own we have to recognize that Without God, you can't even take a breath. He created your lungs. He created your body to operate the, the way that it does. And, and and without His design and without His Spirit giving life to people on the earth today, we would all be dead. So we have to acknowledge God. This is how we break free from the world's mentality. This is how how... how we can make an impact on culture is number one to acknowledge God. Number, number two, to exalt God. I will exalt God. Psalm 145.1 says, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. We've got to get excited about exalting God. You know, people in the world get excited about exalting a lot of things. Right now, it is uh, the World Cup, right? Although the USA is not in the World Cup, but when was the USA in the World Cup? <laughs> How about uh, four years ago, okay? How about Major League Baseball? How about football? Uh, football, listen, when, when co- college football starts, there are some, there's some exaltation going on. People get excited about college football, and and become fanatics, right? And go all out to exalt football. But then, when we come into church, we've we've got to be quiet. No, we can't be fanatics. We can you can, uh, we, we can we can praise a team that doesn't even know your name. Before we praise God, who gave us the very life we're living. So we have to exalt God. We have to acknowledge God. We have to exalt God. And number three, we humble ourselves. I will humble myself. I will humble myself. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The way up is down. The way up is down. The Lord teaches us how to go low. If we look at the life of Jesus and how he impacted his culture, he went low. One of the one of the last things that he did was he cared so much about people that he called his team around him. And he spoke words to prepare them, but he showed them how much he loved them. It wasn't all about him even though he was about and he understood that he was about to go through the pain and suffering of not only physical death but taking sin the weight of the sin of the world on his back in his person he understood what where he was going and what it was going to cost him but yet he didn't make it all about himself he made it about those people those that were closest to him his team that were there at that last supper. He took his towel, wrapped it around himself, and washed their feet, and loved them, and taught them. He said, what I've done here, washing your feet, now you do to one another. He not only said, I love you, but he showed them. He humbled himself. So not only do we acknowledge God, not only do we exalt God, But when we humble ourselves before God, we break free from this mentality of the world that always seeks to exalt itself before everyone else. Babylon always says, I'm more important. Jesus said, you're more important. Babylon says, look what I can do. Look at my picture. Look at my name. Aren't I great? Jesus said, the least of these in the kingdom will be the greatest. You know, those that followed Jesus said, two of the brothers didn't want to ask Jesus, so they said, hey, Mom, talk to to the captain of the team and ask them who's going to be sitting on, on his right hand. So Mom asked the question, and the boys asked, their mom to talk to Jesus. So she said, okay, in your kingdom, who's going to be seated at your right hand? Jesus said, no, that's, that's not for me to, to give. The least in the kingdom is the greatest. And so humbling, going low, being willing to love people before you love yourself and do for others before you ask others to do for you is the way to break the spirit of the age, this this Babylon mentality that we're living in, guys. We're living. Have you noticed the anger level has gone up? The hate level has gone up? Anytime you go for... I mean, it, it, you recognize it in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. I mean, you've got... For Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and all to serve you better, now they have not only one drive-thru, but there's two and three lanes... So you order your food and, you know, I've been beside someone that's just revving their gas. After they order, it's almost like they're racing to get into the funnel to see who could be first. It's not enough that we have fast food. We've got to race to get to the window first. (laughs) It's time. To act like Jesus. It's time to break free from the way the world acts, the world thinks. And so I'm challenging you to break free, to first examine ourselves. Are we acknowledging the Lord? Are we exalting Him in our life? And are we living a humble life where we're loving others and serving others? recognizing that others are valuable. Do we see people as valuable and precious? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.